is Hitting the Mark. I am Cindy Verbalin, along with Ray Carr. We are talking with the wonderful Jeffrey Mark today about Mary Martin. Uh, 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 uh. Mary Martin. Uh, for those of you listening who don't understand why I just crowed, that was one of her signatures from the Broadway musical uh, Peter Pan, her song I Got a Crow. And there is there are two or three generations of people when you go, uh, 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 they know exactly what you're talking about because they crowed right along with her. Good to see you, Ray. Good to see you, Cindy. Good to be with all of you listening. So Mary Martin, good heavens, this girl really had to work for it. Yeah. I mean, she was from Texas. I guess the question I have is she came from humble beginnings. How did it happen for her? And, you know, when did she realize that this is what she wanted to do? I don't know that her beginnings were all that humble. She's from Weatherford, Texas, and her father was a judge so and an attorney. So they, they lived a comfortable life uh, of those times of the early 20th century. Mary is not, was not always very transparent about her personal life. We know that she married as a teenager, very early, very young. Uh, that marriage probably happened because she got pregnant. And with whom she got pregnant was Larry Hagman from Dallas and Ajima Jeannie. Ah. So she always laughed that as she got older, she became better known as Larry Hagman's mother than as Mary Martin. <laughs> but she wanted to be in show business. Uh, Mary is a distant cousin of Ginger Rogers. Oh, really? By the way, so is Lucille Ball, a distant cousin of Ginger Rogers. Uh, in fact, Lucille and Mary might have been distant cousins, just, just gene genealogically speaking. Mary decided wow. to open a dance studio. Being a wife and a mother was not her idea of a good time. She wanted to perform. She wanted to control her future. She was a very, very ambitious young woman. And what she would do is, because she didn't know how to dance, she would go to Los Angeles and take dance lessons and then drive back to Texas and teach her kids the latest step she just learned. And by the time they learned that step, she went back to Los Angeles and learned a new step and brought it back to Weatherford, et cetera, et cetera. There is talk, I went to Weatherford. There is talk in Weatherford that there was a second child that nobody talks about. Hmm. That uh, Larry has a brother with Mary who ended up uh, either in a mental institution or in prison. I don't have a confirmation of that, but three different people in Weatherford told me that. So either the three were lying or I have the three you need to prove that something is real, but I don't know for certain. That would have been very scandalous at that time. Oh, extremely so. Just, just her marrying at that age was already scandalous. A woman running a dance place, scandalous in those years. That meant she was in show business. And in those days, completely unfounded, most people thought that women in show business were tarts, loose morals, 
would have sex with anybody, weren't Christians, weren't to be trusted. Uh, that's, that's the kind of um, prejudice Mary had to fight. And then a woman fighting for her own life, a woman not letting a man run her life, Mary ran her own life. Eventually, she realized the marriage was a sham and left Weatherford and went to Hollywood, where she became known as Audition Mary. Uh, you know, we, we've talked in previous visits together about Ethel Merman, how that woman just worked and just climbed the ladder, slow and steady, and then boom and girl crazy, she was a big star. It wasn't that easy for Mary. Mary was a very pretty lady, but she wasn't photographically pretty. She had a, a, a round nose, she had a weak chin. Uh, she wasn't what the movie studios of the 1930s were looking for. But she did well enough that she got notice. She began to sing in Hollywood uh, at a very famous uh, bar and grill kind of place that had music. And people like Bing Crosby used to go to see Mary perform. She did a lot of vocal tricks. She yodeled, she whistled, hmm. she had the uh, pianist play one song while she sang another one in counterpoint. Wow. And people began to notice her. She got her teeth fixed, so she had a perfect smile. And it didn't ever get her a movie. But what it got her was notice. And she was noticed by New York people. And that's the next leg of her journey. Going from audition Mary to being this woman who lands in a Broadway show, which almost didn't happen. Was she always looking for the Broadway show or was it just looking for the movie or what was in her heart at that time? I think like many women in the 1930s, you know, hooray for Hollywood. Everybody wanted to be a movie star. That was the medium that got the most attention. It's, it's you know, everybody went to the movies several times a week. Mm -hmm. It was 10 cents to get in. There was no television. So your choices were going to a vaudeville variety show, going to the movies, listening to the radio, or if you happen to live in a big city, you could see a Broadway show or a Broadway type show. Those were your options. There wasn't lots of choices. Right. So yeah, she wanted to be in the movies, but she wanted to perform. She wanted a career very, very much. She wanted to be in front of an audience somehow. Vinton Friedley was producing a new Cole Porter musical called Leave It To Me. The star of this show was Sophie Tucker, who had been a, an enormous vaudeville sensation. And uh, her memory of it, Mary's was, that they brought her out on a stage. She sang a song called Il Baccio, The Kiss which is high soprano and almost operetta-ish. So she would sing it through once and then she'd sing it through a second time kind of with a jazz thing that com completely took the song in a different direction and it was sexy. So she did that and then they gave her 
some lines to read to see if she could walk and talk at the same time. Yeah. And her memory was, her only line really was, I'm ready to renew my subscription. And they told her, you know, really, you know, you're in a theater, let it out. And she was like, I'm ready to remove my, and the theater walls kind of like shrunk back a little bit. She was so loud and she got the part. What she couldn't have known and no one could have known, Cole wrote a song. Remember, Mary is not the leading lady. She isn't even the second lady in the show. But somehow this song got into her lap. And this song was My Heart Belongs to Daddy. And My Heart Belongs to Daddy is a risque song. It is a song of a woman. You know, daddy was not her father. Daddy was sugar daddy. Hmm. Something of the times. And uh, Sophie Tech remembered pulling Mary aside and saying, do you have any idea what you are singing about? And Mary really didn't. So Sophie said to her, when you sing, my heart belongs to daddy. When you get to that part of the song, put your hands together like you are praying and look up to heaven. Make it look as innocent as you can. And it was innocent because Mary really did not understand that the song was about a sugar daddy. In her mind, she sang it to her father. It was an enormous success. And it became Mary's first hit song. The first song she introduced that became a standard. The success of that got her finally that Hollywood contract she wanted. And she was signed by Paramount Pictures to do a series of film musicals. Uh, she did one or two with Bing, Bing Crosby, she didn't get any real hit songs out of the films. They felt she didn't photograph well. They still kept that same point of view about her, that she wasn't pretty enough. Uh, she had that Southern drawl to the way she talked. It, it, it regionalized her too much. Perhaps Paramount was the wrong studio for her. You know, Paramount made musicals, they did, but they weren't known for their musicals. The musicals they were known for were musicals starring either Bing Crosby or Bob Hope. That, and then Betty Hutton came along in the 40s. But uh, they weren't known for the musicals the way uh, MGM was or 20th Century Fox was. Mary got discouraged. But Mary met a man who changed her life. What year was this? This would be, by this point, we're talking about the early 1940s. Mary met a man, a very strange man. Books could be written about the quirks of this man. His name was Richard Halliday. Richard came from old money in the South. And we will never know the truth about Richard because Almost everybody I know who knew them tell me that Richard was gay. Oh, okay. And, and they got married. Richard brought her back to New York. Uh, that's where he was based. 
Mary was very unhappy with how the movie things were going. She wasn't getting the biggest parts. She felt she was floundering. And she gets back to New York and Richard was right. He, he began a career of producing or co-producing shows for her in which she was the star. They did have a child together, a daughter she called Heller. Heller, you name your child Heller, but she did. But there was gossip for decades about what that marriage was really like. If I'm gonna be completely transparent and open. There is a lot of conjecture that Mary was bisexual or a lesbian. Can I prove any of this? No. There are famous women with whom Mary was linked supposedly romantically. The biggest name was Janet Gaynor. And uh, even Janet had a sense of humor about it. She, Janice, Janet was married to Adrian, the designer. Also people thought was gay. And they go to parties together and Mary and Janet were like inseparable. And they would show up in a party and Janet would go, you know my husband, Adrian, and you know my wife, Mary Martin. So that could be where people thought stuff got started with. But uh, to this day, there is a lot of talk that Mary and Janet were a couple, that their husbands were sweet, much loved beards so that no one would think they were lesbians, so that their careers would not be uh, affected. But that Janet really loved Adrian and Mary really loved Richard, I mean, deeply, but more like family as opposed to romantically, if that makes any sense. It was more of a security thing. You know, we'll never really know. In my time with Mary, of course, I met Mary after Richard died. And I wasn't going to ask her, so what was the story in your bedroom? I know when my partner Joel died, I got that question way too often. I wasn't going to put that on anybody else. Uh, so from Mary's mouth, I have no answers. About the next few things we'll talk about, I do have answers. But uh, Richard and Mary were married until Richard died. And uh, Mary openly gave Richard credit for making her the enormous star that she became. They did a musical called One Touch of Venus that was a big hit. Mm -hmm. It established Mary as a leading lady and a great stage beauty. See, the same beauty that the movies thought she didn't have on the stage, people thought she was gorgeous. There is a thing with performers. There are some people who just don't shine unless there is a live audience in front of them. And then they glow like sparkles. There are other people who in person on a stage are nothing but put them in front of a camera and wow, 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 wow. Uh, I don't think Joan Crawford was ever known for being a stage anything, but put her in front of a camera. Boy, did you pay attention. For Mary, it was the stage. The stage was where she, she really became a superstar. They touched, they, they followed up One Touch of Venus with Lute Song, in which Mary got to play an Asian. Uh, there were a few songs that came from these musicals. 
they didn't become enormous hits. Um, but speak low certainly was a big hit. Speak low when you speak low. It became a big hit. Mm -hmm. And then Mary was trying to decide what her next show should be. And Richard came home and said, you're going to kill yourself. I just saw a performance. You would have taken a knife to kill somebody to be in. It's too late. Ethel Merman's already doing it. Because Richard had gone to opening night of Annie Get Your Gun. And said to Mary, you must be in this show. So what they agreed to, they were very wise. Ethel did not like to tour with shows. She played them in New York. Maybe she would do something in one city to kick it off. And then she handed off her shows to other people to tour in. So Ethel played Annie on Broadway for almost four years, but Mary toured the country playing Annie. So that Mary became almost as famous for playing Annie Oakley as Ethel Merman did. And that's how she spent the next two or three years touring with Annie Get Your Gun. Jeffrey, was she happy at this point of her life? I think Mary was very contented. She was constantly working. That was so important to her. It is important to almost everybody I know in show business. If you say you're, hey, Jeffrey Mark, how you doing? I'm working. That's all you have to say. You're working. You're making a living performing or writing or directing whatever it is you do. That says you are a happy person who is fulfilled. To be working at your craft is what almost everybody I know is looking for. She was working for her craft. Her teenage son didn't live with her, but she saw him often. So she didn't have the responsibility for him. She had a little girl at home, but she had a nurse who took care of her. And her husband took care of Mary. Everything revolved around, did Mary get enough to eat? Did Mary sleep well? Mary needs to save her voice for the performance. Uh, uh, Mary never answered the phone. Mary didn't know how to hail a cab on her own. Richard took care of everything. Richard picked out her clothing. Richard picked out her underwear. Richard decided how she'd wear her hair. Mary was left to just perform, take all of her amazing energies and her amazing God-given talent and use it. She was excused from all other responsibility in life. That made her happy, that she could focus on what she could do to be the best at what she could do. Believe me, dozens and dozens and dozens of women wanted to rival Ethel Merman as the queen of the Broadway musical. The only woman who comes close, and there are some Mary Martin fans who think she succeeded, was Mary Martin. She was that special. She was that magical on a stage. There is an indefinable something called stage presence. It's got nothing to do with how well you sing or how handsome you are. But when you walk on a stage, you can't look at anybody else but that person. They call that an it factor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Merman had it. Mary had it. I've, I've seen Angela Lansbury walk on a stage. You don't look at anybody else. Zero Mostel. You can't see anybody but that person on the stage. Happily, I have been told I have the same kind of thing. That when I'm on a stage, 
people look at me. That's got nothing to do with good looks, but there's a, a vibe you give off, an electricity that comes out of you when the light hits you. And Mary had it. She had it. Yeah, Elaine Stritch was one of those. She had it. Yes, Elaine yeah. Stritch. Uh, Al Jolson had it. Absolutely. Al Jolson was probably the first who had it that way. Jolson pretty much, I know we're getting off subject a little bit, but, but Jolson really was the bridge between the very old days of operetta and uh, kind of stuffy, uh, you know, stick up your behind, kind of being on a stage thing, where Jolson just let loose and sang right to the audiences and grabbed them by the throat and shook them till he was done. And uh, Ethel Merman did that. Mary wasn't quite so strident. Her, her stage style wasn't as in your face as Jolson's and Merman's. But having seen Mary perform on a stage, the minute she walks out, the rest of the people were furniture. Hmm. Nobody else mattered. Right. And Mary had wonderful guest stars and co-stars through the years. Uh, it wasn't that there was nobody else on stage worthy of being there with her. It's just you didn't care. When Mary Martin was on a stage, it just did not matter who else was there. You were there to see Mary Martin. So uh, we'll get to her next show in just a minute. Uh, I want to tease you guys. What could her next show possibly be? So she's done One Touch of Venus. She's done Lute Song. She's touring and Annie Gets You Done. And then, as Mary used to put it, once in a lifetime, a show and a song and a man come along that change your life. And the next show gave her actually a couple of songs. And the man she referred to was Oscar Hammerstein. Okay. Who was the lyricist for her next show. So Richard Halliday and Oscar Hammerstein and Richard Rogers produced the next show for Mary Martin. As soon as she finished touring in Any Get Your Gun, she went into rehearsals for South, South Pacific. Pacific. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verbalin, and you're listening to Hitting the Mark, and our star, Jeffrey Mark, is going to talk about Mary Martin. <laughs> 